Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Pyro Putty. This is a product that uh, I'm very excited about as far as reinventing the wheel when it comes to fire starting technology. You can get Pyro Putty wet, it's still going to light. You can attach it to a wet log, it's going to burn long enough to start a fire on that wet wood. So when it comes to boosting morale in the backcountry, what, what is better than a a warm fire, right? There's nothing. You get home from a long day, back to camp. You've been chasing elk through the mountains or mule deer or whatever for you know, from sun up to sundown. You're cold and you're wet, and you can't get a fire started. Not because you don't have a fire starter, but because that fire starter doesn't do the job. Pyro Putty does, and you can find it at pyroputty.com. It's a size of about a can of dip. That's all it is. And inside that can of dip, you got a seven-hour burn time. You put a, a piece the size of a nickel, on a stick, and it's going to burn for 8 to 10 minutes. It's Pyro Putty. You need it in your backcountry kit. It's going to boost morale. Could save your life. You never know. Uh, but you can find it at pyroputty.com. This old shotgun is wood and steel. It don't breathe and it don't feel. But I like the way it shines. In the frosty morning light, the most dependable. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoors show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well, our longtime presenting sponsors. Uh, that is this guitar, one of my favorites from Justin Bowman. I don't think you can find that anywhere. Uh, that is an unreleased tune that he sang over here at the studio one day. Uh, but if you are dead set on acquiring an MP3 of that, hey, shoot me an email. I'll send it over to you. I don't think Justin would mind. And I don't, I, actually, he's not even making music anymore. I wish he was because uh, he has certainly a knack for it. No doubt about that. Uh, anyway, I am so glad to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Uh, it is a treat. Week in and week out to be able to call this a job. Um, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. So, uh, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we're going to talk about the lost art of shooting at running game. A longtime outdoor writer, John B. Snow, the shooting editor for Outdoor Life Magazine will drop by and we'll break down one of his recent articles uh, published in Outdoor Life that focuses on that topic. Like, when did it become ethically frowned upon to shoot at running game? I don't understand it. This is how the first hunters that came to North America got by. You think that they really gave a damn if a deer was still or if a turkey was still? No. Seafood, shoot food. That was the mentality. Now, we have evolved... Our weapons have gotten better, and so there's a lot of factors that you know play into why folks are more apprehensive uh, about shooting running game these days. But there's still plenty of states that do deer drives and um, countries where they do wild boar drives and you know push game towards strategically placed shooters that have practiced shooting at running targets. So it's not like it's a uh, totally obsolete, but fewer and fewer. Outdoorsmen and women have mastered that skill. Um, I have done it from time to time, and we'll even talk about some of 
my successes and failures um, with this practice. Uh, so shooting at running game. Interesting stuff coming up with John uh, Snow here in a minute. Uh, then a special in-studio treat. Longtime friend of the show, Zane Williams, will be here with some brand new tunes off of his latest record, The Oak Tree and the Weed. Uh, so cool stuff coming up with Zane. And, of course, Zane and I have had more failed hunting expeditions than you can shake a stick at, uh, specifically those long beards. Whew, I tell you what, we've given it hell going back, I don't know how many trips we've done over the years, uh, at least three or four. We've never even so much as uh, gotten into the game with a gobbler. It, it basically reflects how my entire 2019 spring season went. Uh, it's it's almost like Zane was there in spirit with me, bringing bad karma, bad luck on all of those hunts. Uh, so we'll reflect on some of our past hunting experiences. Uh, they haven't all been bad, uh, but certainly when we've gone after turkeys, woof, we can't uh, we can't even buy a gobble. So I guess all there is to do is just look back and laugh at uh, those experiences that, you know, at the end of the day, make you want it that much more. Uh, I know Zane is much more enthusiastic about killing a turkey today than he was six years ago when I took him out to Squall Mountain Ranch. And actually, he met me there, uh, and he hunted for a day and a half and then left. We didn't have any luck. And then, like, two hours after he left, I sent him a picture of two long beards that I just smoked. <laughs> so that's the way it goes uh, for Zane. But one thing we always manage to do is is kill plenty of cold beers and whiskey and hear some great music. And uh, that's what we're going to do today, minus the alcohol, of course. Uh, I don't know. If Zane wants a Lone Star, I might offer him one. But certainly we'll take a listen to some brand new music as Zane will have his guitar here with him. So excited about that. Uh, that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one, no doubt about it. A uh, couple other things to mention since I'm headed to South Africa this week for trip number three with John X Safaris. I've got a John X Safaris cap and sweater uh, all the way from South Africa. We're going to give this combo away uh, today. And all you have to do is email the word safari. That's safari to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com and we'll get you entered to win today's giveaway. Also, uh, follow John X Safaris on Instagram. They're always posting great content, both from the hunting and also the conservation aspect. So, uh, cool stuff on their Instagram page. Uh, check them out. Let's, uh, let's go ahead, take a quick break. When we come back, outdoor writer John B. Snow joins us to talk shooting at running game on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. All I want is what I had. Trade it all just to get her back She's moving on but I guess I'm not Yeah, we all want what we ain't got Hey y'all, spring is here and that means a lot of things but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you. Far across the deep blue water lives an old German's daughter. 
on the banks of the old river Rhine. There I loved her and left her. Now I can't forget her. She was my pretty frontline. All right, Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. That is Frontline. Culture Wall's latest. Uh, love that rendition of the 1957 tune. Uh, written by Lawton Williams, but originally sung by Bobby Helms. Of course, there have been a litany of other artists who've recorded it over the years, but I think Coulter Wall and uh, Tyler Childers do it best on that version. Uh, anyway, thank you guys and gals for being here today. We are all set to talk a little hunting with longtime outdoor writer Jon Snow. Not uh, Game of Thrones, by the way. <laughs> Uh, pop culture hasn't done him any favors. I might I might tease him a little bit about that during the interview. But uh, the editor of Outdoor Life and uh, Field and Stream, the shooting editor, uh, Jon Snow, will be here in just a second. But first, this segment proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to personally invite you to go to our website. It's just biggame.org. Uh, look around a little bit, and you'll see that this group of folks are passionate about education protecting hunters' rights and conservation. And DSC continually puts their money where their mouth is. Uh, if they weren't, they wouldn't be supporting our show. I guarantee you that. So uh, check them out, biggame.org. With that being said, let's bring on our first guest. Joining us now to talk about the long-lost art form of shooting, running game, it's my pleasure to welcome outdoor writer John Snow to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. It's my pleasure. Uh, so, first of all, um, obviously I know that you're the, the shooting editor for Outdoor Life and Field and Stream magazines, um, but talk a little bit about yourself, your background as an outdoorsman, and uh, how you ended up where you are today, living in Bozeman and, and writing about uh, all things shooting. Yeah, well, uh, it's been a it's been a long journey, but ever since I was a little kid, I sort of had that outdoor bug in my blood. I, uh, I had a pond where I grew up in my house, uh, right behind me, a nice little bass pond. And I fished every day before and after school pretty much. And then mm-hmm. when I was, I don't know, 11 or 12, I finally convinced my, uh, my parents to give me a BB gun. And as soon as I did, you know, stuff started dying in the backyard <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was, you know, squirrels, rabbits, you know, songbird or two, I hate to admit now, but, that's how it was back then. And, you know, the first thing I, I ever even, shot, I remember it very vividly, was a chickadee, which is, uh, you know, but I was probably 10, you know, that, you know, that, that happens, I think, to all of us. Yeah, no, it's a pretty common rite of passage. And, and um, you know, I didn't have, I didn't grow up in a, in a really a hunting or shooting family. So this was all, I was kind of left on my own to figure this out. And, and I'll admit the, the 12 year old me didn't always make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and boys will be boys, right? <laughs> exactly. But, um, you know, after, after college, I became a journalist and, um, you know, sort of in my adult life was able to, you know, really start hunting and, and fishing more. And, and then eventually I, I'd been working in, uh, in New York city and, um, burned out on that and just sort of threw up my hands, quit my job, moved to uh, Seattle and uh, ended up getting my first job in the outdoor industry, working for fishing and hunting news. Mm. 
and that was in uh, the late 90s. And, um, you know, did that for a little bit and then ended up joining the staff of Outdoor Life in 2001. And, uh, you know, things kind of proceeded from there. I, I uh, Jim Carmichael was my predecessor as shooting editor, and, and I sort of shadowed him around uh, figuratively and sometimes literally and sort of learned uh, learned a lot of what I know from him. And when he retired in 2009, um, I was lucky enough to to take over the mantle of that position. And I'm only the, uh, the fifth shooting editor in Outdoor Life's history. Wow. Wow, it's such a storied magazine. And I don't know when it became, when it went to quarterly, um, but uh, I, I was pretty sad to see that happen. Well, you know, it's, Things have changed in the in the media marketplace. Sure. And you know, you look at any um, sort of periodical, you're not going to find a lot that are monthly the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not the way things are are going now. But you know, quarterlies are uh, you know doing very very well, and um, you know allows us to provide sort of a bigger, richer, thicker format for the for the content. And, you know, if you actually count up the number of pages of stories and stuff we're doing, it's um, it's the same as what we were doing before. We're just doing it in these sort of denser um, packaging that uh, I think is actually superior. But, you know, as, a, as an old print guy, you know, of course, I want to see print be king forever. But we do a lot of cool <laughs> digital stuff, too. Right. You know, and that's that's where a lot of our effort goes these days. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is a lot thicker. I, I did. I did notice that. I guess this. This one that uh, mentioned the article that we're going to talk about today was probably the first one I've picked up since it went uh, quarterly. So I was like, man, that's a pretty healthy looking magazine. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we've been we've been uh, putting out some pretty good issues. Uh huh. Well, okay. So so then you lived in uh, Seattle, went to now, and you've been in Bozeman for like nine years. You said off the air, and that's I think that's kind of like the uh, maybe the 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 place that I keep seeing a lot of uh, professionals in the outdoor industry moving to. Yeah, it's really become uh, quite the quite the destination. I mean, it had a it's always had a solid outdoor culture here. You know, we've got you know Sims Products is based out here, and you know Kenetrek Boots and uh, Schnees and Mystery Ranch um, mm-hmm. were all here. And then when I moved out here, Sitka moved here pretty quickly thereafter um you know the production company that steve runella used for meat eater was you know had an element here out of bozeman and then you know they just moved out here as well the whole meat eater enterprise and, mm-hmm. and stuff so yeah i mean it has become quite the magnet for a uh for a lot of elements of, of the outdoor industry yeah yeah and i think uh is that where backcountry hunters and anglers is based out of BHA is uh, is based out of Missoula. So oh, Missoula. That's, uh, that's right. A few, few hours down the road from us, but there are you know there are brethren here in Montana for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I think they're. I went to their rendezvous in Idaho this in Boise this year, and I think they're moving that to Missoula. So I'll be to uh, see that for the first time next year. And uh, yeah, it's a cool. It's a it's a great organization. Yeah. Well, I've only been to Montana once, and that was for a spring. Uh, black bear hunt last year we flew into a kalispell so um don't know how close that is to you i guess geographically i'm not real spry on montana's uh, uh cities and stuff but that's where i was <laughs> that's about a, it's about a five and a half six hour pull from here okay. and um 
Yeah, and in fact, I'm going black bear hunting next week, so that's 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 what I've got on tap. Awesome, awesome. I am going elk hunting up there, uh, archery. We, I drew the uh, combo tag for for elk and mule deer, so that will be. I think we're planning on going the third week of uh, September this year. So oh, congrats, that. man! That'll be that'll be that'll be fantastic. Where where in the state are you hunting? Do you know? Um, we are going. Well, speaking of BHA, my friend, my good buddy Chisholm, uh, he bought an auction hunt at last year's BHA with Ty Stubblefield, and uh, so he's actually going to be kind of guiding us and. Not really sure exactly where we're going yet, but uh, I think we'll be flying into uh, I think Missoula. So good deal, man. Yeah. That's going to be uh, that should be an epic trip. Yeah. Well, so what I want to talk about today um, is shooting running game, and I've I read this article you had written, uh, how to shoot running game, and it got me thinking. You know, historically, this is what people always did, especially uh, coming to this country. As you know, firearms evolved, uh, and maybe maybe there are certain reasons why it's decreased in popularity. But uh, it's it's something that I still do all the time, especially at feral hogs. We've got a uh, you know a really <laughs> untapped resource and, and something that will never run out of. You know, if you want to shoot running game, uh, Texas hogs is a you know the thing to do. Um, but it seems like it gets a bad rap, you know, even among fellow hunters. Some people turn their nose up at, up at it and. To me, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, well, you know, it used to be um, a standard part of any sportsman's repertoire. Mm-hmm. You know, things were a lot more kind of fluid and I guess you could say casual sort of back in the day. And, um, and of course, when you hunted, you were going to have a lot of encounters where, you know, you bust game out of a thicket or, or whatever the conditions are, and that animal is going to be on the move. And... You know, I think part of what's happened is that, and, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think this is a bad thing, but with the rise in hunter ed and talking about, um, you know, sort of the ideal shot for an animal, you know, they emphasize, you know, waiting till an animal's completely at rest and, and uh, so forth. And that's obviously a, a great goal for, for any kind of hunt, but you know, there's just certain types of hunting situations. You mentioned one with, with hogs on the move, particularly if you're using any kind of dogs on them or something else that's going to get them moving around and lots of small game. And, and even with deer where taking, you know, shots at running game is still uh, a, a very viable and, and ethical option. And really, I think it's uh, I think it's an important element of just basic uh, woodcraft and hunting skill to know how to, to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of why I wanted to, you know, share the experience of that story, um, with, the with my readers. Yeah. Well, so I, I think part of it is because, so like you said, we've, we've kind of evolved, uh, more from hunting out of necessity. Like, Hey, if I don't shoot this deer, we're going to go hungry. So I'm going to take that shot. If he's running, I don't, you know, think about 150 years ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're going to take that shot. Now, uh, we all know we're probably not going to starve if we don't shoot that deer. Uh, it's going to be yeah, okay. Ex- ex- yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that there was a whole different set of motivations and priorities. And if you had a, a crack at an animal, by God, you were going to take it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think one of the other things that's also changed is that, you know, we're seeing maybe a little bit of a return to some of these styles of guns, but for a long time, you know, now, you know, our guns have sort of gotten heavier and bulkier and, 
you know, they're sort of optimized for shooting off a rest or, mm-hmm. or a bag or something. And they, and, you know, we've lost a lot of them have lost some of those sort of handling characteristics that make them, um, you know, fun to shoot in a more dynamic situation, like on moving games. Right. So, you know, I think, I think that's a factor too. When, and, and kind of coming up with other reasons and I was just racking my brain, like why else has this gone away? Do you think the evolution of optics kind of, um, has created that as well? I mean, used to, yeah, we, people didn't have a scope to look through. So of course you're going to be uh, shooting a lot of free handed open sights and, and that probably, you know, lended to having that skill set. Whereas today, like you said, these heavier guns made for a rest. You've got the, you know, best vortex scope on there. Uh, I think maybe that the, uh, the optics thing has something to do with it too. I, I definitely agree with that. In fact, I think even more specifically, if you look at, uh, you know, sort of the, the rise of, of variable power scopes and scopes with higher ends of magnification, you know, 9X, 12X, 14, whatever, you know, a lot of people, I think, particularly when they first get into this, they're like, well, you know, more is better. So I'm going to just crank that scope up. And a lot of guys end up shooting at, you know, and practicing with their scopes on higher levels of magnification. And there's a sort of a comfort in that. But, um you know, and so what I've seen you know, when, you know, trying to talk about this and teach people is that a lot of people are uncomfortable shooting at lower magnifications. They feel like they're giving something up uh-huh. um, when they dial their scope down, when in fact you gain quite a bit. And and um, I certainly really recommend people shooting with their scopes set at, a, at the higher level. You really don't need that much magnification to accurately place a bullet. And when you dial back on a lower magnification, you know, you have a better field of view in there. You can kind of uh, see what the game is doing a little bit better. You can spot the game more quickly. Whereas, you know, if you've, you've probably seen this yourself, you know, you've got somebody who's got a scope cranked up and you're trying to point out an animal or, or see an animal yourself. And with that magnification all the way up, it can be really tough to oh, get on yeah. that critter. Yeah. Especially after the first shot at, you know, the target acquisition, uh, if you're not backed out on your scope is is very, very difficult. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I think the availability of those high magnification optics definitely is contributed to the deterioration of those skills. Uh huh. Well, so what animals have you shot while running? We'll start with you and then I'll, and then I'll tell you the ones that I've shot. And some people might be surprised, I think at my list, um, but I'll be, you know, brutally honest here. And, and, and the whole point of this is that I don't, I don't find it unethical. So, um, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, I mean, I have shot a lot of, a lot of hogs mm-hmm. over the years on the move. Um, you know, certainly predators like coyotes. Um, I've shot, uh, you know, at least a handful of deer I could think of that were, that were on the move as well. Um, you know, I've hunted in, in Africa, you know, several times and, and, you know, and those shots will often be on, uh, running game as well. So species there. And then, and then when I did this story in particular, I had gone to um, Poland hmm. and we shot a bunch of game there, including, you know, roe deer and, um, uh, red deer and, uh, uh wild boar and stuff. So anyway, it's, you know, when I kind of tally it up, I've it's a long list. Yeah. Got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things, a lot of things on the move. Uh huh. Uh, and so that, that that hunt in Poland, which this article was based off of, that was basically a driven hunt where you got beaters and dogs pushing game towards shooters that are strategically positioned 
um, throughout the woods or, or the area that y'all are, are uh, hunting. Exactly. You know, it's a very ritualized sort of formal kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they've got these these specific areas where they will set up, you know, shooters around the perimeter. Usually it's kind of like a almost a rectangle-shaped um, area that you end up, you know, kind of hunting. Well, actually, you, you hunt both the inside and the outside of it, but you sort of set the shooters up around the perimeter, and then you have beaters sort of go down the middle with, uh, with um, you know, they're making their noise and their dogs. And uh, you've got a bunch of rules about where you can shoot, when you can shoot, what you can and can't shoot, how far away you can shoot it, and so forth. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, basically like a circular firing squad um, with some safety measures thrown in. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. And, you know, we don't... I guess we really don't do that much where I live in Texas. You know, most people are sitting in a deer blind or a tree stand or um, spotting stock through the woods, which could lend to a shooting running game. But um, I know that it's alive and well in places like Pennsylvania. I think one of the biggest bucks ever shot in Louisiana within the last like five or six years was a was a driven hunt. The guy shot it on the run with a shotgun. Um, pretty sure I remember that story. So it's, it is it is regionally, I think, still uh, very common in some places. Yeah, it it is. I mean, you know, certainly in Virginia, and there are a lot of places, um, you know, down south in these other areas where they have, you know, game drives. Mm-hmm. And obviously, wherever you've got game drive, you're going to have game on the move. So that becomes, um, you know, pretty important, uh, you know, skill to master. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're not going to have as much success. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of the question is, is how how does somebody gain these skills to feel comfortable doing this if, if they've only ever, you know, shot from a really stationary position before? And there's no, there's no one answer, but there are definitely a, a couple of things people can do. For one, shooting shotguns. You know, if you shoot, you know, rabbit targets on a shotgun, I mean, that gives you, that starts to give you a good feel for what that's like. And, um, you know, and then, of course, anybody with a you know wants to go hunt with a rimfire and uh, chase after rabbits and and stuff can really start to kind of hone their skills as well. And I'm sure that learning that movement as well as you know mastering the lead time that you need to put on an animal are the two things that really are going to make or break whether or not you can execute a shot on a running animal. Let's do this though. Let's take a break, come back and discuss lead time. And I'll even dive into some of the animals that I've shot on the run for better or worse. Would I do it again? Uh, We'll discuss that next with longtime outdoor writer, John Snow. uh, After the break, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit, you know, land. That's the one thing they're not making anymore, but we all want it. So if you're ready to take that plunge, Make that dream your reality and purchase that piece of paradise for yourself. Give Lone Star Egg Credit a call. Uh, you can find them at Lone Star Egg Credit. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. From out of nowhere, Bolina has found me, kissing my cheek as she kneels by my side. 
Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Light as a prayer and then I feel myself fall You've got to give me a minute Cause I'm way down in it And I can't breathe so I can't speak I want to be strong and steady Always ready now I feel so small, I feel so weak Anxiety well, that favorite's there from Jason Isbell, Anxiety, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. And we've still got Outdoor Life and Field and Stream shooting editor John Snow on the line as we are discussing shooting at running game here today. Uh, the long-lost art that a lot of people turn their nose up at, uh, which is something I frankly don't understand. We shoot birds, uh, rabbits, squirrels. We shoot all kinds of stuff on the move. So why is it uh, frowned upon to do the same at deer? And it's not frowned upon by everyone, but a lot of folks. So um, with that being said, we'll jump back into that discussion momentarily. First, however, this segment is brought to you by the brand spanking new First Light Sawbuck Pant. I had the pleasure of testing this out down there um, in South Texas on a recent Nilgai hunt. And this thing stood up to, I mean, in a place where everything can poke you, scratch you, cut you, these pants performed by keeping that stuff at bay. Essentially, they are a brush-tough climbing pant without all of the weight. Uh, so still breathable, and the fit and movement is not infringed. Uh, so check it out. It's the First Light Sawbuck, available now at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Um, okay, well, let's get back into it here with longtime outdoor writer John Snow. Uh, John, thanks for sticking around through the break, brother. Absolutely, my pleasure. Say you're shooting you know, a running deer at, uh, let's just say, 60 yards where are you putting that to crosshairs? Assuming you have a well, scope, where if you just are shooting open sights or whatever, I mean, how much how much lead do you actually need to put on these animals? Well, that's a, good, that's a very good question. 60 yards, you know, with a deer running, um, let's, let's just say for argument's sake, 
it's basically going um, straight across. You mm-hmm. know, if it's quartering away from you, that that'll change things, um, you know, a little bit. But 60 yards is pretty close. Mm-hmm. And so what I would do in, in that case is, um, you know, first you want to make sure you have a good track on any animal. And the, and the way to kind of do that is to have a really good upright posture and, um, you know, have it so that really the only motion that you're doing at this point is kind of pivoting at the waist, almost like kind of just a gun turret going back and forth. Hmm. You know, so if you're, if you're kind of nice and upright with that butt of the stock right into your shoulder, that'll kind of minimize the horizontal wobble. You just want to be, or the vertical wobble rather, you just want to be moving in the horizontal plane. And so what I would do is, um, basically put that crosshair on the animal and just pull through out in front of it and probably give it, oh, I don't know, maybe about six to eight inches of lead or even just at actually at 60 yards, maybe even just on the, just break it at the front of the chest, Hmm. right, right on, right on the edge of the animal. And that bullet will, will go into the vitals. And the reason why I said 60 yards is just for, for me, I think the thing about the uh, shooting running game is that a lot of times it's free handed and that's a whole nother mm-hmm. thing. You know, it's uh <laughs> that adds, that's really the element of difficulty. You know, it's, it's, it's free handed. And so you've got no rest. So you've got, like you said, have that upright posture as far as not having a lot of other movements going on with your body. Uh, so I, I don't know, like outside of, I don't know what my max I'd feel comfortable shooting at running game. If I was free handed would be, you know, I think it's uh that's the thing that's tough to master. <laughs> it is tough to master. And part of that is just time in the field because <clears throat> look, people see lead differently. You know, I've coached people in shotgunning and, and stuff. And of course, everybody always wants to know how much lead, but the way people see lead and envision it can be just different. I can say, well, heck, give it, you know, six inches of lead or two feet of lead, but how I sort of see it versus a shooter can vary. So it's a little tricky to try to, totally nail it down mm-hmm. but the you know i think the thing is is that once you start to get a little bit comfortable with this um you'll see you know you'll start to you'll start to get kind of a feel for um you know for what's what's proper you know with our deer on the move for example if that deer is just all out hauling ass and you know, just really running hell for leather, you're probably going to need more lead than what I just talked about. But if it's just sort of, you know, kind of spooked and trotting away like they'll sometimes do, it won't necessarily be a dead out flat ass run, Mm -hmm. you know, then obviously that lead's going to be a little, a little less. So part of it is really just kind of developing the feel for it. But if you have good mechanics, you know, if you're swinging that rifle, you know, you're nice and steady, just swinging it in the horizontal plane. You know, this is where you can use that, the the horizontal crosshair to your advantage. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, putting that in line with the, the, basically the center of the, cutting through the center of the deer's body. So you're right in the vitals there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a nice smooth swing, good trigger control and follow through and just keep that barrel moving. You know, that's going to, those are the things that are going to help you help you connect. Right. Well, so I, I guess the uh, I said I'd give my list, and so I will. I've, uh, the first animal I probably ever shot that was 
moving was a, was my, my first whitetail buck. And uh, like you said, you didn't really grow up hunting. I, I grew up more fishing. My dad was a bass fisherman, still is. He lives for it. And so I didn't really discover guns and hunting and shooting until probably after most kids, I would say, you know, uh, right about the time I left after high school. Uh, so some, basically somebody dropped me off in a, in a deer blind and said, you can't shoot anything that's inside the ears. That was the only instruction I got. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sitting there, you know, young man on my first deer hunt and this buck comes out and I shoot and miss him. And he wa- he runs into the woods. And after about an hour of sitting there, I got so bored. Uh, I'd, I'd been duck hunting, uh, was kind of my thing back then before deer hunting. And, uh, so I was like, this is, this deer hunting is boring, man. I got to, so I got down out of there. I was like, I'll just go find that deer in the woods, you know? And, uh, sure enough, I, I walked into the woods and he ran out and I dropped to a knee and shot while he was running. And I, I shot him in the gut. And then, uh, the, the whole thing was a mess. Then the next thing I did was I saw where he went and bedded down. What do you think I did? Not knowing anything about deer hunting. <laughs> you probably, you probably ran right up to him, ran right up to him, bumped him. And that was probably like around nine o'clock in the morning. We finally found him, uh, like three o'clock that afternoon. So, you know, if I had just left him there, yeah, he would have been, he probably would have died in 30 minutes, you know? Um, but I think a lot of people listening probably have these same similar experiences where they didn't know their head from their ear in when they started out and trial and error is the only way to go. But for the longest time, John, I was, because of that experience, I, uh, I was afraid to shoot at a, a deer. I would still shoot at hogs and coyotes, you know? Uh, but it was probably, God, it was probably 12 years or so before I took a shot on a, on another running deer. And, uh, mm-hmm. this I had seen these two axis. I was doing a spot and stock on a on an axis buck, and him and his buddy were walking up a hill towards me. And I kind of crawled up to these cedars, and knowing which way they were traveling, well, they reversed and came around. All, I look over my left shoulder, and he's standing there, thirty yards, looking at me. And I, you know, pretty quickly turned and tried to get a shot off before he could move. And I didn't know if I hit him or missed him, and so he started running off. And next thing you know, I, the fourth shot hit him right in the neck and he just dropped dead at like a hundred yards. <laughs> so I was wow. pretty proud of that. I've never told that story in the air. It really it never, it hasn't really been pertinent, but uh, it's not something that I'm ashamed to say. And uh, I was pretty impressed by that shot. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels good when it connects. Oh yeah. Hell yeah, it did. The, and then I think the other things I, you know, I've obviously shot hogs, turkey predators, like, like you said, uh, all running and, uh, and and it just got me, you know, like I said, this article is just something that I was like, why, why don't we talk about this more? Because I know people are doing it. And for the people that are judging, uh, that kind of irks me too, because, hey, at the end of the day, it's a personal preference and uh, you can do it ethically and still, you know, harvest game quickly and efficiently. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I still think there's very much a place for, uh, for developing, honing, and, and using that skill for the for the hunter's repertoire, no doubt about it. So, what do you, what is your uh, what is your go to caliber and and rifle for you know if you're just going for a walk in the woods and with the anticipation of of maybe having to take a shot at a running deer? Well, you know, I have uh, I've I've shot and, and killed a lot of stuff with the 6.5 Creedmoor over the last, you know, 10 years or so mm-hmm. and have a tremendous uh, affinity for that. 
for that cartridge. You know, my, you know, and, and I've, and I've killed a lot of stuff there and, it, and it's, and it's such a shooter's cartridge. So that's, that's the thing I like about it. Nice, mild, easy recoil, very accurate, just fun to practice with. It's a, it's a, it's a type of round that, you know, makes you want to go out and shoot more, even if you've got a lightweight rifle. Traditionally, you know, back in the days when I was uh, hunting more with lever guns and stuff, I've got an old Marlin 336 and 35 Remington, and that was kind of my woods gun. Hmm. And um, I love the way that rifle handles. And that cartridge just, you know, with a 200-grain round nose, and I mean, that just puts puts them down. It's just a great, uh, you know, and, and for closer in kind of handy shots where you might have a shot and brush it, you know, something busting out, you know, pretty close range. That's a hard one to beat. Um, so those, those are a couple of my go-tos. And then for a long time, I, I used, uh, the 280 a lot, big mm-hmm. fan of the 280. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, have, uh, used that with a lot of success over the years. So, um, but I, you know, it's hard. I don't, I don't get to just shoot one, one cartridge or one gun anymore. <laughs> of uh, course not. <laughs> you yeah, gotta shoot I, I don't them all. Know to feel bad yeah. for me. Yeah, but I gotta shoot them all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so let's wrap it up with this. If you come across another hunter, and I think this is, I've always thought this is the biggest issue within our community is that hunters, because uh, you're never going to change the anti-hunter's mind. They're a lost cause. Uh, the people on the fence, those are the ones we really need to be concerned with. They, they, maybe they don't hunt themselves, but they're cool with us doing it. Uh, but it's when hunters want to kick each other in the nuts repeatedly because one does it differently than the other that I don't understand. So, if you come across another hunter who starts to give you crap about it, uh, what is your response to them about shooting running game? Well, you know, I mean, I would, you know, I think you're right that that, that kind of, you know, I call it, you know, it's gatekeeping, mm-hmm. you know, you know, people who have an idea about how and when to do something that basically kind of limits the, the, the appeal of our sport to people, which of course is the last thing we need right now so just in as a general kind of goal i think that's about one of the smartest things we can do is to be more inclusive with each other so even if you know somebody comes and challenges me on that you know i'm going to be pretty respectful and and just say hey look this is a uh you know you know we we shoot at moving birds you know i see the thing is that they'll, they'll if you start to pick it apart there are certain things they probably would shoot at moving Absolutely. A coyote on the move, a hog on the move. How about a, how about a rabbit busting out? You know, it's like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, okay, well, so if you're comfortable doing that, why not be comfortable doing this? You still have to own the shot. It's a bigger target. (laughs) Yeah. Every time we pull a trigger, we own that shot, right? Uh That's our responsibility. And, um, part of that is just gaining the confidence and the sense about what you can do. Um, and, 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 and again, if you use the right equipment and you use the right technique and you don't, you know, for example, like I said, you don't crank your optic up to a high magnification, you keep it nice and low and good form and stuff. It's a very effective and to your point, ethical technique. So uh, that's kind of what I would explain. Okay. Right on, right on. Well, Hey brother, it's been certainly great visiting with you. I look forward to reading your next piece and, uh, do you have any social media outlets where folks can follow along yeah you know i've got uh you know certainly the field and stream and outdoor life facebook pages you'll see a lot of my stuff there i'm on instagram at um 
John underscore B as in boy underscore snow. Um, they can follow me there. So those are two two good ways via via Facebook or or on Instagram. And um, yeah, no, I, I I really appreciate it, man. It's been a been good catching up with you. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you're the original John Snow long before the Game of Thrones. <laughs> that's, sure you, that's right, damn it. <laughs> you get that a lot, I'm sure. My goodness. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, no, it's it's been eight long years. <laughs> <laughs> You're glad it's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, John. Well, hey, thanks again, buddy. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks, Cable. I appreciate it. All right. Outdoor life shooting editor John B. Snow. Uh, great visiting with him today. That segment probably brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. And I keep telling you, for anyone who has their own place with a stock pond on it, with you know, you're growing those big bass, catfish, crappie, whatever, uh, introducing the kids to fishing, you want to grow them big, well, you need to check out the damn fish feeder from All Seasons Feeders. You put the damn fish feeder on your damn dam, and you feed your damn fish. It's that easy. It's the All Seasons Damn Fish Feeder. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Up next, my good buddy, singer-songwriter, honky-tonker extraordinaire, Zane Williams drops by the studio. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. It ain't my boots or my cowboy hat now. My baby loves me for my pearl snacks. They really drive her wild. She can't resist my country western style. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Left a beer bottle, rattle on my pistol, on the seat of my Chevy pickup truck. And I'm taking these gravel roads as fast as my truck go. I'm running like a scared white tail bug. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Chris Knight, Becky's Bible, bringing us back here. And uh, that one is uh, pertinent. Well, Chris Knight is anyway, because that is where I met our next guest. It was, gosh, nine or ten, almost ten years ago. I had just started the Lone Star Outdoor Show, and Zane Williams had just moved back from Nashville to the North Texas area and was starting his... uh, singing songwriting career in texas and we became fast friends hit it off and have enjoyed quite a few hunting and fishing experiences along the way Uh, and zane is here in studio so we will get into some brand new music and talk about some of our uh, recent failed hunting excursions (laughs) zane brings bad luck let me tell you Uh, but before we do that this segment proudly brought to you by lone star beer the national beer of texas Whenever Zane and I embark on one of those uh, guaranteed-to-be 
failed outings, uh, there's always at least, uh, you know, a nice cooler of cold Lone Star beer to come back to at camp. Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas. And so now, without further ado, uh, let's bring him on right now. He is here in the Lone Star Outdoor Show studio. Zane Williams, always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Good to <laughs> I be back. Didn't clean up for you. It's a mess. And you call this a mess? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, I think we're uh, we're pretty good friends at this point. Been yeah. um, brought together by a love of music and the great outdoors. Yep. And not only did I not clean up, but like usually I have a, a pretty good outline. I mean, I think I have Zane, welcome to the studio. How's life? How's your family written down for questions? <laughs> I think we, we, good. we can pretty much freelance it yeah, at this we, point. I imagine I'm, I'm pretty good at just blabbering. Yeah. So how is the family? They're good. They're good. Uh, my, my son Buck is nine. My little girl Gentry is six. Uh, they just got out of school for the summer. Mm. Jody is my wife uh we've been married 18 years and um she's uh i think she's happy for summer unlike a lot of parents she she's actually excited about summer mainly because <laughs> she doesn't have to get up early <laughs> right um so that's cool and then uh you know buck was out there uh mowing the yard for the first time today um so that was an exciting milestone five bucks yeah five bucks is he brought he brought up the figure five bucks he's gonna so, he's gonna renegotiate that so sooner we thought that later. what's funny is is that um so i had this sweet old man named texas terry that was mowing my yard and he was a fan and, and a friend and a buddy and um he he passed away a few weeks ago and uh so I was like, ah, oh, I didn't know what to do. Do I get somebody new or have Buck start doing it? But I didn't know if he was too young. So I went out and bought a, a lawnmower and um uh, and a weed eater and um um I thought maybe Buck, you know, would be able to to use the mower and everything. But uh, he and his little friend from across the street, who's about the same age, uh they were like, dude, we should start a lawn mowing business. Yeah. And so they were making plans, right? Well, his friend had this fortune cookie. Uh, and um, he gave it to Buck, and Buck cracked it open, and it said, "The fortune said, you have a successful business venture in your future." <laughs> Can you believe that? They were sitting there talking it's about starting a, the, yeah. you know, these two nine-year-olds were sitting about talking their, talking about starting their business, and then they cracked open the fortune cookie, and that's what it said. Yeah. I was. That was just after that that I was weed eating and broke my neighbor's back windshield <laughs> with a, a with a, a rock. So unfortunately, my luck is not as good as theirs. But yeah. maybe, maybe they have a successful business in their future. Right on. <laughs> Buck's got to successfully mow our yard a few times and see if he. We'll see if he uh, maintains his. I offered enthusiasm. Henry ten bucks to just do the front yard. No, uh-uh. but he's only six. I don't think it yeah. might be. I don't know. He might be too young to handle the mower anyway. Yeah. But uh, so I was out there yesterday doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so a lot, a lot's been going on for you as far as uh, musically. Yep. And of course, we'll talk about another failed hunting trip here uh, yeah. that, we, that we had this spring. We'll do it's that the in a second. We but, have. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the new record, the Oak Tree and the Weed. And you did this a little different. I mean, we've talked about it so many times about how can't really make money off of just selling records anymore as a musician. Yeah. And so why spend all the money to make that record that's going to result in a loss financially yeah. for you? 
So talk about how you how you decided to do this project. Yeah, it is it is hard to uh, borrow a bunch of money, tens of thousands of dollars, and go spend it all in the studio, and then you know maybe not get that money back. <clears throat> um, so that was part of the reason for doing it the way I did. The other part of the reason is as I kind of had all these songs sitting around on my computer that I don't know they were just a little bit more folky feeling, a little bit more storytelling songs that just kind of lend, lend themselves to a simple production. They don't need like a bunch of big drums and electric guitars and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I had, uh, I kind of had in the back of my mind that I would make a, uh, an acoustic record someday with some of these songs. And finally they'd piled up enough to where I decided to do it, but I decided to do it live. So I, uh, I set up a show at the McKinney Performing Arts Center. I hired a guy to, uh, play mandolin and fiddle another guy to play banjo and dobro so it was just the three of us and we did it live um in front of i don't know 250 fans or so but um and it was a lot of fun you know i practiced real hard because they were all new songs you know so mm -hmm. it's like i had to play 15 songs and not screw up you know that was <laughs> intimidating but um and then so the way we put it on the cd is there's no space between the songs you know it's just kind of one continuous audio and um so hopefully when you listen to this CD, you basically just feel like you've got a seat. It almost the way we mixed it audio wise, it, it you don't feel like you have a seat in the audience. You have you feel like you have a seat on the stage mm. with us. You know what I mean? Like mm. you're sitting next to us as we're jamming um, on an acoustic show in a theater, and so um, it's definitely a completely different vibe than any CD I've ever put out. But if you like, just things that are sort of down home and real, you know, there's no auto tune on this. There's no, you know, moving, moving stuff around or manipulating it in the studio. Like, um, it's so easy to do these days. It's just, uh, just the three of us dudes, uh, playing some tunes and, um, yeah. And I've got the CD right here, which is great because I still have a CD player Yeah, and I'm going to take that CD player on the airplane to Africa this week. <laughs> I'm nice. going to listen to this nonstop, nice. uh, and actually, 19 songs on here, so we've got some... So some of those are ones. intros. I think oh, it's okay. like 16 songs. Uh -huh. 16 songs. It's 15 new songs, and then we did Ride With Me as a uh, as oh, cool. an encore. Right on. Well, still listening to CDs. People give me crap. I, I think half of... Anyone under 25, when I pull that thing out, and I still travel with it all the time. Why? Because I get to have people like you bring me CDs. Yeah. And, uh, and also because to get songs that I want to play during the show into the computer, I have to burn them onto a CD and then rip them into my mm. uh, recording software. There's no other way around. I can't just go to iTunes and just say import songs into, mm. you know, Adobe audition or whatever. Uh, so I still, I still rock that, that uh, Panasonic CD player. I think it's probably yeah. 20 years old. <laughs> well, we, we sell most of most our kids CDs. Have, don't have never even seen one, you know, yeah. it's like a relic. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't, I listen to CDs when I'm in my when I'm in my van sometimes, and then um, a lot of a lot of my fans like to buy them just because it's something to sign, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you can obviously go home and rip it onto your computer and put it on your phone or whatever from there. Uh, but my truck's paid off. It's got one hundred and fifty thousand something miles on it, and mm -hmm. it has a CD player. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think they're putting CD players in new trucks. I'm real pissed so. when I have to buy a new one. You know, there's pros and cons, I feel like, to a lot of the new technology they're coming out with. 
I kind of I'm a kind of a fan of backup cameras, you know, so that you don't <laughs> right uh, bump into stuff. Yeah. Or like my worst nightmare, like be like you know if you have a toddler or something like them playing behind your car or something. That's the stuff of nightmares. So a backup camera, if they can avoid that, that sounds great to me. But uh, some of this other stuff where it like tells you what to do or automatically slows down or whatever. I don't know. Let me make the mistake, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little nervous about that. I mean, have you heard about like um, those airplanes, those Boeings? The reason they crashed is they put a uh, an automated update into the software that if it sensed that the it was anti-stall mechanism to where if it sensed that the nose of the plane was too high, this would take over and lower the nose of the plane. Well, then what happened was the sensor that says what the pitch of the nose was malfunctioned and was giving a reading that was saying that the nose was too high. So this other thing took over and pushed down the nose, hmm. even though the nose was level. You've I got was. This, I you've got saw a this article just on these, pushing yeah. down the nose, and there's nothing. There was nothing they could do about it. Yeah. Just freaking killed them all. Yeah, that's terrifying. I hope I'm not getting on that plane here in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a big. I'm ass pretty boat. sure they've grounded those. <laughs> but um, I don't know. And I mean, you know, like I said, one day, maybe these are the growing pains that the industry has to go through. To like, I, I, I kind of like the idea of. I'm, I kind of like and kind of don't like the idea of, of the automated cars. I like it in the idea that, you know, I'll be able to sit around and practice my guitar and, um, you know, hopefully we'll eliminate a lot of traffic accidents and all that stuff is, is great. And you can sleep and stuff instead of having to drive. That's that's awesome. But I, if we ever get to the point where all the cars on the road are automated and stuff, I'll miss... Uh, just jumping up there behind the wheel and firing her up and going wherever Smashing I, I want to go. Accelerator and <laughs> to I, the floor I might board. die, and that's okay. I'll I'll just you know chew sunflower seeds and stay awake. Yeah, that's here's the question I have. So if they if all the cars became automated, what about for like the classic cars or what people would consider? Yeah, older, like I just don't understand. I bet that, you they'd make a special lane or special road way. system. Or, you know, like some roads would be automated only or whatever. That's insane. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining, if if all your cars are automated and run by a computer, once again, privacy are, is going to be non-existent in this world that I'm imagining. But I'm imagining that basically your computer could log on to the local system, say the Dallas traffic system, and the Dallas traffic Dallas traffic system would just be controlling all the cars on all the roads and making them go the most efficient way possible. Which would, I'm sure, like cut this. down on, you know, <laughs> like instantly, you wouldn't have to pay attention to, oh, there's a stop, uh, there's a traffic stop up ahead, I should go around it. The computer would just calculate that and would ca- instantly calculate the most efficient speed, the most efficient route for everybody. Yeah. yeah. But also the computer will know where everybody is at all times and, uh, you know, what. And if you're in trouble with the law or whatever, <laughs> you're gonna have to figure out a way to log onto the system with uh, with somebody else's ID. I or don't something. know about that. Uh, we were last week's show was all about technological advances in the hunting industry. Yeah, I mean, which is cool, like being able to check your cell phone and look at the hogs that are knocking over your feeder. Like I was right. just telling you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I want every aspect of my life being monitored. Actually, I know I don't. Yeah. Want people knowing. Not that I'm breaking the law, but I just, uh, you know. No, I know what you mean. I just uh, feel like that's too uh, intrusive. <laughs> yeah, it gets 
Because that's what people always say was, well, if you don't have anything to hide, then who cares? And that's true to an extent, but it's also true that if people have that much information, they can misuse it, especially the ones that are in control of it. You know, mm-hmm. if the if someday we got into a place where the you know the police wanted to crack down on this certain type of people or people that believe this or people that think this or people that have been to this place or whatever. Or hey, look, they at, could, uh, they we could heard Table that. has a safe full of guns in his studio. Let's go take some of those. Yeah. He shouldn't have those. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's a trade-off between convenience and privacy. I mm. think that's coming up. And and there's there's always been a, com- a trade-off between uh, convenience and safety, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we're... We're really safe these days, safer than we've ever been. And theoretically, automated cars would make us even safer. I ate a lot of lead paint but, as a kid. My yeah. crib was lathered up in it. No, I know drink that out of the water hose. That explains a lot. No, yeah. I understand. <laughs> That's why you love flinging lead these Yet days. Here we are, you know? Yeah. I don't think that stuff's going to kill us. It might. These cell phones might be putting some kind of thing into our heads. Yeah. Who knows, you know? Wouldn't that be funny if like 30 years from now they discover that? We're all dead because we use these cell phones. It'd be like cigarettes, you know. Yeah. Like in the fifties, everybody smoked cigarettes. Right, right. Doctors now, told people to smoke. I was reading right. that. Like, you need to lose some weight. You should start smoking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Maybe, hey, why don't you get on a treadmill or actually mm-hmm. go outside and like walk or exercise? Right. Or right. Smoke cigarettes. It's smoke good for cigarettes. you. Smoke mm-hmm. cigarettes. Wow. Big tobacco. And now we've got big cell phones. Now we got big cell phones. Yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Technology is going to be the end of us all. Yeah. Um, but let's get back on point here. Uh, the oak tree and the weed. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you play us the title track? That'd be great. My precious darling daughter with the curls all in a mess Lie down a spill and let me tell you a story while you rest It's a tale about a couple of sprouts each grown from a tiny seed One was a baby oak tree and the other was a weed Well spring came with its heavy rain and that weed got an early start He grew up quickly but he was prickly and hollow in his heart That oak tree, he was tiny, just a twig and not much more. But there was something strong about him, something sturdy in his core. Well, summer came and that weed was the biggest, baddest thing around. Soaking up all the water while everyone else was turning brown. He was quite the sight at his height, riding near six feet tall. And all the pretty wildflowers loved him best of all. Um, but then summer turned autumn and the green leaves turned to gold. One clear night when the moon was bright, there came a freezing cold. A killing frost crept across that meadow and cast its spell. And in the morning there lay the weed withered where he fell. But well, winter that year was bitter. Cruel and icy cold And the snow piled up in drifts Along the fence line by the road And if anything was living It was hidden out of sight Hungered down and hoping Just to make it through the night Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
but then the wind blew warm again the way it always does tulips popped up through the snow and the bees began to buzz that weed that once had been so tall was now just a memory but there were once a twig had been now stood a young oak tree he kept right on growing, grew up straight and true and tall And every week he watched those weeds come up just to wither in the fall He stood through floods and droughts and bouts with bugs and wind and hail But his trunk was deeply rooted and his big heart never failed Nowadays he stands majestic, the tallest thing for miles Mighty arms outstretched to catch the sun when it smiles the birds nest in his branches and the deer rest in his shade. The squirrels sitting on burls eating his acorns have it made. Now, my daughter, many years from now, a boy will come along who will catch your eye and make you sigh with a smile or with a song. And you'll want to cling together, take a run and go with life, and he'll kneel and tell you how he feels and he'll ask you to be his wife and I'll gladly give you to him when that day finally comes knowing I won't lose a daughter but instead I'll gain a son just as long as you remember my little tale about two seeds and you make sure that boy's an oak tree not a weed Yeah, buddy. That is the title track off of Zane's new record, The Oak Tree and the Weed. Love it, man. Thank you. I got two girls myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can relate. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, what do you want to do for us next? Uh, I think I'll do another one off of the CD called uh, The Grandpa Song is what this one's called. Grandpa, I miss you Sitting in your chair And the way that the world Made sense with you there I thought I was ready To tell you goodbye So why can't I hold back These tears in my eyes Damn if it don't make me feel old to these kids, you'll just be an old story that gets told. Could you look down and show me the way? I want to be strong as you were someday. Grandpa, we're okay, but it's been a long year. Seems everyone needs something from me around here And I miss just listening to the way you would talk Like someone who'd been there and was walking the walk And damn if it don't make me feel old To these kids you'll just be an old story that gets told 
Could you look down and show me the way? I want to be strong as you were someday. And I know I ain't living the way that you did. I am no longer that freckle-faced kid. I've wandered in shadows and shades of gray, but I remember how you taught me to pray. Grandpa, I miss you sitting in your chair, and the way that the world made sense with you there. I know I told you, but I'll say it again. Thanks for everything. Yeah, that one makes me miss my grandpa. There's no doubt about that. He was uh, a wise man. He always told me to drink my coffee black and live below my means. Yeah. Which those two things always stuck with me. You know, and uh, and it, you know, as a kid, even a young man, you don't. I don't think you realize that he's not always going to be there until he's not there. Right. I wish you had more time. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't realize how much wisdom they've accumulated over time. You know, because mm -hmm. it's only after you go through several decades that you realize the wisdom that comes with age. I'm still working on that. <laughs> yeah, my, my grandparents, both uh, my dad's parents drank their coffee black. They they said that um, they used to drink it with cream and sugar until they went down to visit a friend of theirs in Florida, and he told them, are y'all going to take your coffee black or are you going to be a pain? <laughs> and, they, and, they, <laughs> and they said, well, I guess we're going to take it black. And then they just drank it black for from the from then on yeah yeah for 40 years or whatever I, after I never asked him why he drank it black uh but he told me you know you don't need that cream and sugar and yeah. he fought in world war ii and i always just kind of made up this part like well i bet in world war ii cream and sugar when he's in, right. in england right uh were probably a luxury right and so you probably just drank it black just because that's the way it you had to drink it yeah and uh i don't know i like to think that's how it went down but Anyway, as a young kid, you want to impress your granddad. and Yeah. It's like, well, I don't want to have cream and sugar if granddad doesn't take it like that. Yeah. Why was I even drinking coffee to begin with? Yeah. <laughs> Only because he was drinking it. Because <laughs> yeah. it tasted good. Yeah. You know, I tried coffee uh, when I was a kid, and I, I, I distinctly remember uh, washing my mouth out repeatedly with like a <laughs> Dixie cup at the bathroom sink as my grandpa laughed at me, uh, my, my mom's dad. And, um, but my, my son, Buck, he's nine and he, he always is begging me for a sip and I don't know. He pretends like he likes it. I don't know if he does or not. <laughs> Sometimes he grimaces a little bit and then says, Hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I basically, I got to the point where I was like, all right, look, I was, I think I was 30 something and I was like, it's this, it's ubiquitous beverage. It's relatively inexpensive. If you drink it black, it has zero calories and nothing artificial in it, and it gives you energy. Why am I not drinking this stuff? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I right. just—it's time. I just—it's time to force myself. 
And so I pretty much just started drinking it black until I liked it and until my mind quit complaining. And of course now I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it black. Um, I always thought it tasted like dirt, (laughs) dirt, dirt water. (laughs) Um, It looks like dirt water. Yeah. But now I like it. I drink it all. I drink it pretty much all day and pretty much that's pretty much all I drink is water, coffee and beer. Beer and whiskey. <laughs> Those four. Speaking uh, of beer, another funny story, a little antidote about my uh, my granddad. Um I never really saw him drink a lot of beer, but he was like his lawn was meticulous. Like I think he was out there. We were talking about uh, off the air, how you broke your neighbor's back windshield with your weed eater. Yeah. Uh, and like my grandfather was at probably out there with scissors, like manicuring, <laughs> right, you know, right. doing his edging. Um, and sometimes he had like the yard of the month. That was a big thing back in the day oh. where he lived in Houston. Uh, but anyway, he liked a cold beer after he was done doing his yard work. My parents didn't drink, so we never, I was never around beer. Until I went to Catholic high school, you know, yeah. <laughs> we grew up Baptist, went to Catholic high school. They'll teach you how to drink Catholic yeah. high school. Uh, but the first beer I ever tasted, I was like, I went into the fridge in his garage. That's where he kept his cold beers. And I opened up, I'm probably like in second grade, opened up, a, I think it was a Budweiser, took a drink of it, spit it out yeah. <laughs> and then set the can back in the refrigerator. Right. And like an hour later, it's like my parents come, come up to me. Did you drink a beer? <laughs> I was like. Uh, no, they're like, somebody did and it, and granddad didn't do it. So I was like, yeah, I did. It tasted terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does taste terrible, you know, stay away from it, kids. Mm, it's terrible, <clears throat> terrible stuff. We had, we gave Buck a, can I get you a Lone Star? By the way? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you get over the taste of it. Um, yeah, beer has actually been the same thing for me where I used to not like the taste of it. Now I enjoy it. Um, and I've kind of gotten to the point now where soft drinks taste a little too sweet to me. Oh, that's gross. But, um, yeah. but yeah, we gave Buck a sip of wine the other day cause he was, uh, I was playing at a winery and he was begging for it and he, he likes to talk about how awful wine is, how it's the worst <laughs> beverage ever invented or whatever. I'm just like, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, Zane and I will rehash our most recent failed turkey outing among other things. Plus here, another brand new tune. And that segment was brought to you by the new Pulsar Thermion Thermal Rifle Scope. It is available now. And what separates it from previous models is that it is designed to fit any 30 millimeter uh, scope rings. So if you want to put a thermal optic on a bolt gun, this is the thermal for you. It's the Thermion. You can find it at PulsarNV.com and save 20% off your order. If you use my promo code Lone Star, that's Lone Star at PulsarMV.com. We'll be right back with more from Zane Williams. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. After one long siesta, I came wide awake in the night. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hi, this is Nolan Ryan. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Just a wild-eyed kid from Waco Running loose 
loose and fancy free All our friends said I was crazy But you were crazy There's one of my favorites from Brian Burns Thunderstorms and Tyler Roses Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club Cable Smith here with you today Thanks for dropping by As we're still visiting with my good friend Zane Williams He's here in studio and we'll get back into that conversation here in just a second. But before we do that, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. My good friends Josh and Becky Gunther have taken care of all of my taxidermy work for, gosh, seven, eight, I don't know, a long time. Actually, they've even done uh, Zane's Axis deer as well that he's got in the hit shack. Um, they'll do the same for you, offering great quality with a quick turnaround time. They answer the phone when you call. And you can find them at gr8mounts.com. Okay. Well, uh, Zane, certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I noticed, I think Zane Williams is maybe the most prolific in-studio guest we've ever had. Dang. <laughs> maybe, maybe because I live five minutes from your house. <laughs> that and we like to, uh, we like to go do outdoorsy things i would say well we are hunting unsuccessfully yeah. most of the time but uh we've had some good duck hunts mm -hmm. uh we even had a nice uh public land hunt on lake lewisville years ago i think we shot uh 10 or 12 ducks and then had a bunch of geese come in unexpectedly yeah. i Which can't I say fired, if you actually shot one i, I know fired, i shot at least one <laughs> i fired blindly into their midst <laughs> Oh, that was and awesome. Then, like they appeared out of the fog, these just group of honkers right there. Yeah. And then Zane did what Zane does. Yeah, I panicked. <laughs> I panicked. And I'm not even sure if I, I I I can't remember if I had my safety on or it was some some tomfoolery like that. Um but I'll let I, you carry them out though. Yeah, and I, I do remember uh one of them that was just wounded and you were sending Belle after it and she was just like, uh Yeah. She's just looking at this like, thing. It's like as large as yeah. her. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, that was fun. We and we've had quite a few. Those things are heavy. Good duck hunts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, they are big birds. Big birds. Yeah. So we've we've had some dove hunts. Uh, brought uh, your son on one of those, I believe. Yep. We've had success hunting successfully, dove and ducks and mm -hmm. but turkeys are nemesis and you know turkey. Proved to be my absolute nemesis this year. Yeah, uh, I think I I did uh, uh, five different hunts on six or five weekends, you know, on six different properties. Put like I can't remember how many thousand miles on the pickup. No turkeys. Yeah, no, none, none. So when you came, I was like, well, we already know how this is going to end up, you know. Well, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> um, how many yeah. turkey hunts have we done together? Four? Uh, three or four? Three. Three? Three, and yeah, still no turkeys. Still no really. I guess we saw some hens last time. I remember <laughs> in, in the distance. That's bad, dude, when the highlight is seeing yeah. some hens in we the distance. We saw some hens in the distance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, we've never gotten but, in the game with a gobbler, though. It's, uh, it's Well, deal. my attitude is, you know, if you can't, can't get a wild turkey in the bag maybe you can get a wild turkey in the bottle that's you know right what I'm saying <laughs> which which we have done that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um oh i forgot though we we did uh you 
played Guns and Guitars, the uh, inaugural Guns and Guitars. Yep. Like six or seven years ago, mm-hmm. and you did shoot a nice Axis buck there, which is still on the, uh, which is proudly displayed on the wall of the Hit Shack. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, he's always kind of looking at me, like with a very serious expression on his face, like, <laughs> you ate me, bro. Why'd you have to eat me, bro? Yeah. But, yeah, um, that was a good time, and uh, it's nice to have that trophy on the wall um, just as a as a reminder, and just because I've always thought stuff like that. I've always liked rustic uh, decorations like that, make it feel homey in there. And, um, yeah, I remember... Uh, guns and guitars. That was a good time driving around, uh, looking for varmints and different things. That was fun. Mm-hmm. And then actually, we went hog hunting uh, just on my place here in Collin County a couple. Yep. A couple weeks ago, had the hogs coming in every night, uh, and then of course you you came and they didn't come till like wee hours of the morning. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe we scared them away with all those beers being popped open i don't know, <laughs> I don't know anything about that need y'all. to learn to be a little more stealthy <laughs> yeah yeah but um anyway i look forward to our next outdoor adventure whatever that may be yeah uh, and this past time though was really cool because you're working on it like obviously we've got the new record the oak tree and the weed but you're working on something bigger something different um and i'll let you talk a little bit about that yeah, well, this will fall into the category of teasers because this uh, project is not going to be launched until hopefully beginning of next year, but even that is up in the air. But yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of putting together my next CD that I'm going to do is going to be with a band that I'm going to be the lead singer of, but it's going to be its own, have its own name, and there'll be another guy that'll sing lead on some of the stuff and... Uh, there's at least a couple other guys in the band that are great harmony singers, so it'll be lots of three-part, four-part, five-part harmonies, kind of like uh, Alabama and Diamond Rio and Black Hawk and that that kind of a sound, mm-hmm. a little, little bit of eagles thrown in there. And uh, it's basically uh, my ideal band that I've kind of always wanted to have, and I've finally... I've been in this Texas scene for a while, and it's like I couldn't really necessarily uh, hire some of these guys as side men. Uh, wouldn't be able to pay them enough. Uh, but I thought, well, what if we just like started a band and we were all equal owners of it? I'd kind of rather do that anyway because I've always liked the idea of uh, sort of the brotherhood, the the team, a team of people all pulling in the same direction, and. Um, so I just called some of my favorite players in the scene, uh, kind of handpicked people that are multi-talented. They they play multiple instruments and they sing really well. And we put I put together a group of all those people. And so we're look look for a new Texas-based uh, alt country band to be on the market in 2020. Awesome. Yeah. And you played a couple. So I mean, you guys have already. Recorded some stuff, and and you at that uh, last turkey hunt we did, yeah, uh, we were actually, I think, killing the wild turkey, yeah, and <laughs> you played a couple of those for us, yeah. I think one of them's even on my Instagram TV, but uh, mm-hmm. certainly excited about that. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be different, man. It's gonna be different for you, I think. 
You've yeah. been doing it's been the Zane Williams band for I mean as long as I've known you what ten, yeah. ten years you've been mm-hmm. you know grinding yeah and that's you know it's fun too and I'll I'll still I'll still definitely do the Zane Williams stuff uh, at solo shows um, it remains to be seen um, you know how depending on how well the band does and stuff I may just focus on doing just the band stuff for a while mm-hmm. but um uh, but yeah i mean i wrote all for all the songs that we're working on for the new cd um I, I mean I, I wrote them all or co-wrote them and um so it's not going to be a huge difference than what i do now but it, it's a little a little rootsier i'd say and a little uh more a lot more harmony driven and that's really fun for me because i've had a lot of great harmony singers and musicians on my records it's it's not that hard to like call up somebody that's super badass and have them play on in the studio mm-hmm. you know you just got to pay them for a day of worth of their time but they're not gonna play in your live band you mm-hmm. know what i mean they're not gonna jump in a van with you and <laughs> right. go all over the place but now they are but <laughs> yeah see that what but then what ends up happening is you make a record and it's difficult to actually put together a live band that that even approximates what that record sounds like. So, you know, a lot of times people don't even try too hard, and it's okay if your live band sounds different. But for me, it'll be fun to, like, the guitar player, the drums, the, all the stuff that you hear, all the harmonies and stuff that you hear on the record, that's what that's actually us playing. That's what we actually sound like when we show up. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be hopefully nailing it uh, every night. And... It should be something that you don't just see every day. That there's a lot of a lot of talent in the group. So, look yeah. forward, looking forward to the the new band. We don't have a name for it yet, so it it really is uh, in the infancy stages. But hopefully, it'll be launched by early 2020. Well, I know. Um, oh, we won't say his name, but I know the lead guitarist, and uh, he's put out some stuff solo. That I already knew and was a big fan of. Yeah, and uh, he's pretty awesome too. So, yep, yeah, it's gonna be good. There's no doubt about that. It's always gonna be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this guitar is not your normal guitar, and I don't know why you left or how you managed. How does a musician leave his guitar at the venue? Uh, I'm not really sure how that works. I can't. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that, but uh, <laughs> there's. I, <laughs> I'm sure there's a story there. I not much of a story other than I'm just absent-minded, mm-hmm. and normally somebody else puts it up on the bus for me. But uh, yeah, last Saturday night we were in Little Elm. It a big came a big storm. We had to cut our mm-hmm. set short by a couple of songs, and in the confusion of getting wet and loading everything out, somehow I left my guitar in the stage area. Um, and anyway, my tour manager went back, shout out to Sean. He went back and got it for me and he's got it, uh, down in Waco where he lives. But, um, yeah, in the meantime, I had this guitar that I had borrowed, uh, to use in the studio last week. And I borrowed it from a guy here in McKinney named Victor Bishop. And, um, it would belong to his, dad who his dad gave it to him i believe mm. i believe that's right uh, like in 1930 19 maybe 1940 or something but the guitar was made in in the 30s like 1937 ish wow and um it's a it's gibson a, i'm looking it's a at it's a gibson yeah it's a gibson advanced jumbo and 
it's cool guitar because they only made these for two years, 37 and 38, I believe, and they only made like 300 of them. But um, looking back, it was kind of their top-of-the-line guitar back then. And, you know, now that we have the benefit of time, looking back on it, a lot of people think this is the best kind of flat, flat-picking bluegrass-style guitar that Gibson ever made. Hmm. And, uh, and they only made 300 of them, huh? Yeah. That's crazy. And... Uh, I, I really like the sound of it. It's it's kind of dark and woody sounding and kind of uh, growly a little bit. And so what I play currently is a, a Gibson J60, which is basically a modern attempt to recreate this guitar. So this is like the 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 original. Mm-hmm. And I'm just a big fan of vintage guitars. They just have a resonance and a, the wood has had decades to dry out and it just makes them light they're really light when you pick them up and they they're just really resonant and anyway i shout out to victor for letting me borrow this guitar and i mean we won't say how much it's worth but it's worth a lot of money yeah if they made 300 of them in 1937 yeah uh it's a that's a a pretty neat piece of history that uh and it's nice to see that it's not just on somebody's you know hanging on somebody's uh trophy room yeah i don't know what musicians probably don't call them trophy rooms, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that was the, the equivalent of a, right, you know my right, right, vernacular right. a trophy room. Yeah, um, but it's still being used and making amazing music, which you used on some of the new stuff. Yep, oh. yep. Some of the stuff I've been working on with the new band, we use this guitar. It's pretty so, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sorry, you have to give it back. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got the same type of appeal uh, as like an old gun. You uh-huh. know, when you yeah. when you hold. Uh, hold a piece of metal and wood that that was handcrafted back in a time when I feel like, you know, the the process of making it was probably slower and a little bit more handcrafted and meticulous detail. Yeah. yeah. Attention to detail. And, and they just built things to last back then uh, a lot more that the, the, the quality of worksmanship is part of the appeal. And then just the fact that it's that old, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, just to think about where it's been and what it's seen. Who's pretty cool. It. Yeah. Oh, pretty neat. Well, um, let's, let's wrap things up here, Zane, with one more off of the new record, the Oak tree and the weed. Uh, what do you want to do for us? I think I'm going to do one. It's called very autobiographical tunes called people like me. Awesome. like me have a college degree that we don't use and we're still paying off the loan one day when we finally do we'll celebrate for a day or two then go borrow some more just to buy a home you see people like me are poor but we ain't starving in fact quite often the opposite is true We'll try being vegetarian for, oh, maybe a week and then fall off the wagon in a pit of barbecue. Where it's one more day here in the good old USA, I pray that she will stay forever free. I've got a little to spare and I do my best to share. Like I should, life is good for people like me. Thank you. 
Now people like me still know how to write in cursive. We used to mail love letters when we were young. We got the latest technology, the high-speed, high-def media feed, but sometimes it sure feels good to just unplug. See, people like me have fond memories of Grandma's kitchen. Back in a time when time didn't move so fast. Can't stop the world from changing, and it could use some rearranging. We just hope we don't lose the best things from the past. And it's one more day here in the good old USA. I pray that she will stay forever free. I've got a little to spare, and I do my best to share. Like I should, life is good for people like me. Now, not everyone agrees with people like me. But that's okay, we don't expect them to. We can still live side by side, even if we don't see eye to eye. People like them, people like me, and people like you. Cause it's one more day here in the good old USA. And I pray that she will stay forever free I've got a little to spare And I do my best to share Like I should Life is good for people like me Give me one more day Here in the good old USA And I pray that she will stay forever And I do my best to share Like I should Life is good for people like me Knock on wood Life is good for people like me Love it, my friend Tell folks where they can find this Because is, is it even available? I mean, we've got copies here So obviously it's been... It's done. It's all nicely packaged and yeah, looks pretty. We're. Um, I think what we're going to do is um, you can get the physical CD off my website, um, and I'll be selling them at shows. And we're going to do that for a couple weeks, and then I'll uh, I'll put it up on Spotify and Amazon and iTunes and all those places here in a couple weeks. So um, if you're a digital only type of person, just uh, be patient. Wait a couple weeks, and it'll be out shortly. Or if, if you're like you're a, me and you've still got a CD player. <laughs> yeah, or if you just feel like donating a little bit of your money to the cause, then get on my website and you can buy one off my website. Perfect, perfect. Well, Zane, I appreciate it, man. Always great to have you in studio. Um, like I said, we've been been buddies for a long time. We've got a, a good yep. rapport, and, and that's why I'm lazy enough to not even really make an outline for our, <laughs> our interview. Yeah. Uh, but I look forward to our next hunting trip. I don't know what it will be for, but... As soon as I get that feeder uh, back upright, those yeah. sons of bitches, those hogs, man, uh, we'll get you back over there. I'm down. I'm I'm always down. It's a good good excuse to get away and just get out and chill for a little while whenever you give me a call. So I appreciate it. Well, and I, you probably get invited to go hunting a lot, you know, uh, fishing too. But it's one of those things where people invite you on the weekend and yeah, Thursday through exactly. Saturday. 
it's life on the road for you. Yeah, I get invited a lot. I wish I could take advantage of all this stuff, um, but you live in McKinney, <laughs> and uh, and you can do stuff on the weekdays. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, right on, man. Well, hey, certainly enjoyed it, Zane. All right. Thanks, brother. Well, there he goes, our good friend, Zane Williams. Always a treat having him drop by the studio. And uh, do have an autographed copy of the new record, The Oak Tree and the Weed. And we're just going to open it up to everybody. If uh, if you want to enter to win the autographed copy of the latest record, just email the word Zane, that's Zane, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and uh, you'll be entered to win. So uh, there you have it. And by the way, that segment was brought to you by the new Vortex Razor HD 4000. That is the latest and greatest laser rangefinder from the fine folks over at Vortex Optics. You can check it out by going to their website, vortexoptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Thanks to both of our guests, of course, Zane, as well as longtime outdoor writer John B. Snow. Uh, we will do it again. Same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. We were raising cane and swapping songs